Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So as I've just said, we're in the book of Daniel. It's a book study. We try to do at least one book a year, sometimes a chapter or two, just kind of verse by verse. And, um, and, and it's important for you to know something. As you're, Some of you are just learning your Bible. Bible teaching is new to you. So it's important because some of you have gone back and tried to read Daniel and come back to me and said, man, I don't get it. Well, first of all, uh, the Bible's not written in order. So it's not like Genesis and then you just go in order. There's historic books, uh, which a lot of the beginning of the Bible is, historical books. But overlap with the historical books, there's what we call prophetical books or books of prophecy. There's the minor prophets and the major prophets. And it, it, the minor prophets aren't less important than the major prophets, all right? It's just those books are shorter, all right? And so those are integrated in the historical books. So in other words, those words from those prophets are being spoken during the historical part of the Bible, if that makes sense. And so in the Old Testament, we got historical books, and we got prophecy books, and we got like uh, psalms or poetry. So really, it has everything in there. It has good war. It has good uh, romance and love stories. I mean, come on, everybody. It's just some, some good stuff in there. Now, the first six books, uh, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel... Um, they're historical. Daniel's one of the few books that kind of, it, it, it's both. And so the first six chapters are historical. And as we look back on history, we can look at some things that are repeating themselves in our culture today. And then the last six chapters are prophetical. And like I said, we're going to wrap up with that next week. But let's look at where we've been so far. Just a little bit of recap. Week number one uh, because this series is called The Culture of Chaos, week number one, we talked about culture's greatest goal. And in part number one, we talked about how culture's greatest goal is, is to change your identity. We looked at that, how uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they were all taken out of a godly nation and made to be slaves in an ungodly nation. And one of the first things that happened to them is that their names were changed, trying to mess with their identity. Culture is constantly trying to change your identity to what it wants you to be rather than what God has called you to be, right? Uh, week number two, we talked about culture's greatest myth, and we talked about the spirit of Babylon and how Babylon is not a physical geographical place today, but the spirit of Babylon is even here in the shores of America, and it promises something that it can't deliver, all right? I won't re-preach that. Then in week number three, we talked about culture's greatest test. We talked about Daniel in the lion's den. You can't hardly do that book of the Bible without talking about Daniel in the lion's den. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego bow, not bowing to the idol. So the greatest test of our culture is bow down or not to bow down. In other words, what are we going to worship and what are we not going to worship? And, and sometimes we see that as in a place of worship. But I, wanted to, I want you to consider it broader than that. In other words, what are we going to agree with in culture and what are we not going to agree with? What are we just going to go with the flow and what are we not going to? What are we going to bend to, all right? Which leads us to week number four. And week number four today, I want to talk to you about culture's greatest 
culprit, okay? Just a little more historical background, then we'll get into some application here. Daniel lived, in the book of Daniel, Daniel was taken into captivity. He lived under the rulership of four different kings. Now, I want you to notice something. Four different kings that he greatly had extremely different worldviews than those kings. He had different policies. (laughs) He had different politics. He had different religious views. He had different educational views. And and all that is right there in there. So so he was extremely different than the kings that he was under. Key word is he's under them positionally. But he he, he, he never demonstrated his difference through meanness. He never demonstrated his difference by talking about what he was against. But he led and honored God in such a way that the Bible says that he continued to have influence. As the world grows darker, church, they are, uh, the world is looking more for light. Yeah. And if they look into the church and all they see is a bunch of angry people also, yeah. Yeah. and they see a bunch of fighting people also, yeah. and a bunch of people that are throwing stones at the very people that we're supposed to love and draw into the kingdom... Yeah then in the darkness of the world, the church is not the light and does not have the influence that it should. How many know you can disagree still in America? I know it's out there. But in America, we can still disagree and still love the person that we disagree with. Can I get an amen on that? And Daniel shows us how to do that. How do we have a godly influence in an ungodly culture? Now... Uh, last time I was here, we did chapters 3 and 6. I'm going to go backwards. I haven't done this book in order. Uh, and we're going to go back to this just this one event that's just this wild event in Scripture. We never see it again in Scripture. We never see God do things like this again in Scripture. Uh, but King Belshazzar is throwing a wild all-get-out party. And something wild happens. You guys ready? Here it is. Daniel chapter number 5. How many know this story? How many know where I'm going? Okay. All three of you, hang with me. Here we go. (laughs) King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles. Don't you love how the Bible describes a wild party? (laughs) Okay. It's a banquet. Okay. So, gave a great banquet for thousands of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, watch what he does. He gave orders to bring the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Side note, when they went and seized Jerusalem, they also raided the temple of God and took all the holy things out of the temple of God back to his nation and set up those things in the temple of his little g-gods. Kind of trying to make a statement. Okay? Yeah, uh-oh is right. Okay. So, uh, so uh, his, his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, might drink from them. He is taking the sacred elements of communion, bringing them into his little g-gods, and now they're going to mock our God by drinking wine and getting drunk out of the sacred elements of God's temple. Can anybody say, uh-oh? You know? All right. Okay. So here's what goes on then. Uh, take me a little farther. So they brought the gold goblets and had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines, they all drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the little g-gods of gold and silver. Does that sound familiar to anybody? 
We'll put up with a lot in America as long as the gold and the silver continues to flow. When the gold and silver starts seizing, then we get uptight. But it seems like in our culture we'll put up with a lot as long as we can still worship around the feet of gold, finance, money. Okay, that's another message, all right? I lost you there. So let's come on back to my original message, all right? Bronze and iron, those are all symbolic of things in our culture I don't have time for, wood and stone. But watch this. Here's where I want to focus. This is where it gets wild and weird, all right? Verse number five. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared. Like, can you imagine being at a party? And, well, maybe some of you have seen stuff like this. I don't know. I know some of your backgrounds, and you're like, what's the big deal, dude? Have you? Okay, I get it, all right? But suddenly, this is not hallucinogenics, all right? Here, suddenly the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched, I love this, the king watched the hand as it wrote. Now watch what happens, all right? His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his legs became weak. I love this. And his knees were knocking. You think? Huh? Uh, you guys got to read the Bible. There is some great stuff in there. I'd like to do some stand-up right now on this, but I got to. Okay, here we go. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners. Then he said to those. So he got all the, 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 the people that he thought could interpret this. He says, whoever can read the writing and tell me, by the way, what was written on the wall, just side note, it was not in any language in the world. It was not a language. It was almost, this is kind of silly, but it's the best way I can explain it. was almost like a little kid just writing a bunch of letters on the wall. Okay? Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So, in other words, nobody could interpret it because it wasn't a language. Okay? All right, so whoever reads this writing tells me what it means. They'll be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck, and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Okay, now hold that thought just a minute. This hand coming out of nowhere and writing on the wall, it's bizarre, okay? By the way, it's where we get the term, the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> have you ever said that? Have you ever just said, man, I wish God would just write on the wall? No, you don't, <laughs> okay? You do not want this, I'm telling you, all right? So that's where we get that. It's like when it's saying, well, that was so clear. It was so obvious, all right? Now, it almost reminds me, anybody grow up with the Adams family? Remember the hand, you know? <laughs> I don't know what it looked like, but I always imagine the Adams family saying, nah, 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 uh, anyway, all right. <laughs> Verse number 25, I'm going to skip through a whole lot of stuff. You can read it on your own because i got a lot to get to. Verse number 25 is what was written, okay? So Daniel comes in and he, he, he interprets this. And this is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parson. Anybody know what it means? Okay, all right. I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a language, all right? And so nobody could interpret it. So Daniel comes in and he gives the interpretation. I want to spend our next minute together interpreting what Daniel interpreted as these words, as God's handwriting on the wall that happened thousands of years ago as a warning to us how to live in a culture of chaos. Are you guys ready for it? Yeah. Number one, the word many. He says it twice. I'm not going to get into the significance of that, but many, many. Here's what it means. And Daniel says it. This is in the book of Daniel. I'm not making this up. It's in the book of Daniel, all right? So he, many basically means your days are numbered. Now, church, 
We could look at this ancient transcript and we could look at these ancient words that weren't even a language and say, what does that have to do with me? It has a lot to do with us in a culture that is going more chaotic every single day. And the first thing we need to be reminded and maybe even warned is that our days, they are numbered. The reason this is important Uh, This would make its own series. But anything you think you have a lot of, you tend to squander. Am I right about it? Anything you think you are, that you have a limited amount of, you tend to use very wisely. Come on. Any coupon cutters in the house? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't have enough of that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use it very wise. I'm going to wait until there's buy one, get one free, right? If you have a lot of something, you tend to squander it. How many remember being 19 and thinking, oh, I got my whole life in front of me? And then you turn around and go, what happened to that? And all of a sudden now you're starting to count your days. You get to a certain age and you start wondering, what's the significance of my life? What am I doing that has eternity value? Anything you think you have a limited amount, then you start using it very wise. You do only the things you really think are important. Come on, do I got any grandparents here that can help a brother out right now, right? James says this. James says that life is just a vapor. It's just a mist. It just just disappears just like that. I mean, come on, everybody. Remember when we were going to shut down for two weeks? This weekend is two years. Did it seem like a blink? Well, maybe not. But anyway, right? I preached a message years ago about the dash, the dash in between the born on date and dead date. It's the dash. It's not what day you're born. It's not even really the biggest deal what day you graduate from here to go to heaven. But what would you what have you done with the dash? Fortunately, all of us are still living in the dash. We all hey everybody, here's some exciting news for today. We all have a death date. Oh, I'm so glad I came to church today. <laughs> Wonderful. Matter of fact, Hebrews 9.27 says it this way. Hebrews 9.27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that, face judgment. All right, put that on a bumper sticker. (laughs) Right? I mean, you don't see many cars driving around with, hey, we're going to die today, and then face judgment. Woo! Yup, yup. All right, right? All right, if if we're not reminded, we, we might waste this life. Friends, We can't waste this life. God allowed us to be born and live and be who we are with your giftings and your anointings for such a time as this. I don't even believe it's an accident that a single one of you are here right now for God to remind us that you have a purpose. A few years ago, I read a book called 30 Days to Live. I don't know if anybody else read that book. But 30 Days to Live, it stops and makes you ask some questions. Here's some questions that I would ask after reading a book like that. What would you stop doing immediately? And what would you start doing immediately? If you had 30 days to live. See, Daniel is telling us, hey guys, we're in a specific time and a specific place. And let's not waste our days. Now let me turn that into something corporate today. Yes, our days are numbered. So church, 
Our days are numbered also. No, I don't have any plans to close down. Not at all. We're not even five years old yet. But even as we are just learning how to get on our feet as a church and start moving, our days are still numbered. Ladies and gentlemen, and it is time that we make an impact in the community that we are in and quit gathering just to hear a good sermon on a Sunday. But realize that's only one little part of the days that God has put us to live in. Come on, everybody. Right? Listen, I, can't, I just can't encourage you enough to be involved because as the world gets darker, this place will become more exciting as we see those that will turn towards the light to find the hope of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing better than being a part of a solution that everyone is looking for. Can I get an amen on that? You know, we were at a church last week, Janessa and I, and uh, they just dedicated, I think it was a 40,000 square foot building just for their kids' ministry. All right? And I have to admit, I was jealous, and and I started saying, God, I'm a better pastor than that guy. What's the problem? And... (laughs) It was gorgeous. They had just opened it two weeks before we got there. It was their third week in it. And Janessa took one of the services, and she went over there and toured it. And and just absolutely amazing. But watch this. This will blow your mind. In case you're not used to church, they didn't have but eight more kids than we had last Sunday right back here in this room. Eight more kids. You know we got 100 kids under the age of 10 that are showing up here on average on a weekly basis. Come on now. And not only did they have that much square footage, okay, here it is. They had four times the amount of workers working with the children. I look at Camden. She's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. We need it. <laughs> you know that we need a minimum right now, just a minimum. We don't recruit around here, but let me just tell you a little bit. We need a minimum of 20 people to get involved in kids' ministry in order for us to minister to them the way that God has put it on our heart to minister to them. And part of the reason we don't have enough is because what we view children's ministry as a daycare center, and we forget the fact that we have the opportunity to perhaps do one of the most important things there is, and that is shape and mold a little life that won't go through some of the things that we went through as teenagers and young adults that can fall madly in love with Jesus and the people that are helping them know Jesus. Come on, somebody, right? Right? Here's the good news, is God has put everything we need to do what he's called us to do right here in this church. Everything we need. Pastor Tommy taught me years ago, Ken, for what God has put in your heart, then everything you need, the miracles in the house. So the good news is everything we need to do what God has called us to do just in children's ministry is right here in the house. That's the good news. The bad news is you haven't said yes yet. I was thinking about this this week a lot on the airplane just because we've been wrestling with kids' ministry and really where we want to go with it and that it's more than just a playground, but it's a time where they can have small groups and they can build relationship with their teachers and they can have prayer time and Bible time and, and coordinate it with what mom and dad are doing in here. And I started thinking if just one person will help catch that vision. I remember years ago, 1995, I'd just taken my first church. It was in bankruptcy and... I didn't know what I was going to do. We bought an old bus. <laughs> Thought, man, we're going to bus kids into church. I didn't have nobody to drive it. 
And one Sunday, a guy by the name of Bob Ellis showed up in my office. And he said, I could drive that bus and I'll go get kids. And he, he owned a landscape, or he didn't own a landscape company. He worked with a landscape company. Before I knew it, Bob was driving into the inner city and picking up kids. And first week, we had like a dozen and then 18. And then we needed to buy another bus. And before long, it was 40 kids. Then it was 100 kids being bused from the less fortunate neighborhoods into our children's services. Pretty soon, we couldn't keep up with buying enough buses. So we started going out there. Michigan, remind you. Michigan, 30 degrees on average in the winter, going out Saturday, calling it Saturday Sidewalk Sunday School. And eventually, four, five, six, seven hundred kids were showing up every single Sunday to stand in an outdoor pavilion to hear somebody tell them that God loves them and that He has a plan for their lives. And do you know, to this day, when Christmas rolls around, I still get emails from people that say, I used to ride your bus. I used to go to the Saturday Sunday school. I'm married now. I had a guy this week even said, I'm a youth pastor now in a state. I don't remember what state. Oh, and I have to imagine it was because somebody believed we can reach a kid and save them from the scars of sin that so many of us went through. Hey guys, our days are numbered. Those little five-year-olds are going to become 25 years old facing divorces and facing problems because they don't have a foundation. Would you pray for me that we'll have one of the greatest children's ministries around here? Come on, everybody. We got to do better. We got to do better. It's not a daycare. It's an opportunity. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Miss Zeal that spent time in my life and making sure I got into church and praying with me in those children's ministries. We got to do better. In fact, I declare it's the most important ministry of this church. I'll change that next week, but for right now. <laughs> While we're doing that, we can't forget our homeless friends. Yeah. Our days are numbered, everybody. Their days are numbered. The statistics of how many are dying in the encampments, it's, it's staggering. And we live right here, just right by them. The days are numbered. we got to continue to find ways to, I know we're doing a lot. We're, we're doing a lot of things. Thanks for your giving. And we're providing them temporary shelters and sleeping bags and shoes and socks and food and all those kind of things. But could somebody in here dream with me that one day we could own a hotel and we could put them in a whole year discipleship program to teach them how to live and how to serve God and how? Come on, everybody, right? See, some of you are too blown away. We serve a big God who's able to do exceedingly abundant. I'm so excited. Right now, we had a guy come in, and he was telling us, man, I was counting all the people in church on Sunday, and I noticed you're the only church I've ever been to where on that particular Sunday, a few weeks ago, there was more men in church than there was women. What? What? Come on, ladies. you got to get with it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I wore pink for you. And I'm so excited as I'm hearing the rumblings and I'm hearing Mark talk about this new ministry that's getting ready to erupt blast and cast where we can take guys hunting and fishing. What would it be like if the church could just lease thousands of acres so we could take guys out all the time and if they don't get saved, we leave them out there. Amen. <laughs> Come on now. We'll get you praying one way or another. Oh, God, help me get home. Your wives will be worshiping. Thank you, Jesus. No, I'm just... 
I don't know what I'm saying today. What about the shut-in? Who's going to stand up and say, you know what? we got to do ministry to the shut-ins. They're, 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 there's gold in those grandmas and grandpas that have been shut in and forgotten about. Who's going to go there? Better yet, who's going to get a, a, a wheelchair bus and start bringing them to church with us so they can gather and celebrate here? Come on, our days are numbered, everybody. we got to do something for the kingdom of God. Right, everybody? Would you please understand that church is more than a guy getting up on a platform and preaching a sermon on Sunday? Would anybody agree with me on that? While your hand's up, keep it up there and say, okay, God, then speak to me. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Look around. This is, the early, this is the smallest crowd you'll see in here. The next service is usually standing room only. People come in here and stand up against that wall. Stand out there to hear whatever God is doing right now. You know what we desperately need? Well, we need a few things. We need a third service. But you know what? We don't have enough dream teamers to do a third service. And so God will only send us what we can handle. So I'm begging you, next month, come to Next Steps. Find out how to be involved and carry the vision of the church. Our days are numbered. Better yet, we don't need three services. Come on. We need a bigger building. We need a piece of property. We need to dream bigger because we serve a great and awesome God. Amen, everybody. Don't waste this life is what Daniel's telling us. In fact, let me put it this way. Because some of us are trying to live a carefree life. Ah, stink on carefree life. You can live carefree when you get to heaven. Because carefree, here's what it means. Carefree. Don't live carefree because living carefree is caring about nothing. I tried to live like that for just a little while right before I planted this church. And I realized, yeah, I'm carefree. And I'm stress-free, but I'm not accomplishing anything. I'll take on some stress and some tired nights any day to be a part of something that is bigger than me. Amen, everybody? All right, you guys settle down. Let's do the other two points. All right, here we go. Number two, the next word was tekel. And uh, tekel means your life has been weighed. (laughs) If you thought the first point was tough, (laughs) now he's not only saying they're numbered, but so far we've weighed it. You, how many want to just skip right over this point? Anybody? I think I will. All right. You're, you're, you, in other words, here's what he's saying. It's a picture. This, this word is a picture of a balance, a scale, rather. And he's saying you're out of balance. It's not adding up. Is your life adding up? Is your life out of balance? I can't answer that question. Only you can do it. Only you and the Holy Spirit. But is your life out of balance? How much time? I don't want to sound old-fashioned here, but I don't know how to make the illustration. How much time do you spend on what you want to do versus what God would have for you to do? How much time? I know we have to work eight hours, but we don't have to watch Netflix for eight hours every day. Hello, somebody? I mean, is our life out of balance? I love this picture I seen when I was studying. Uh, uh, Come on, right there. Balance is the key to life. How many feel like this is your life? And you know what? When you get involved in ministry, sometimes this is how you're going to feel. How am I going to fit it all in? How am I going to go to that life group? How am I going to lead this thing? How am I going to do outreach? How in the world am I going to go serve in children's ministry with all that I have? Yeah, it's called doing this, everybody. But the reward is absolutely amazing. Because you, like me, one day will get an email from a little kid that gave you the greatest amount of pain in that children's ministry. And they'll say, today I love God. And my wife or my husband loves God. And my children love God. God. Come on, everybody. It's about balance. And if we don't believe the Bible, let's go to St. Dr. Seuss, all right? 
five lessons in life. Tell me he's not right. Today you are you. This is truer than true. There is no one alive who is youer than you. Mm -hmm. Why fit in when you were born to stand out, Radius Church? God didn't call us here just to be another church. God called us here to find a need and fill it. Amen? Number three, you have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're doing in life exactly what you want to do or what you've accepted to do in life. Number four, be you. Uh, uh, be who you are and say what you feel because those who mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. <laughs> Today I shall behave as if this is the day I will be remembered. I don't want to live 30 more years and die and somebody say a few nice words over me. I want there to be a ripple effect of my life. I want there to be somebody saying, you know, generational curses were broken in my life. Because you got involved. Come on, everybody. Our days are numbered. And the question is, are they out of balance? Ecclesiastes says it. Uh, well, let me, before I go to that, just in case, if, if you don't think you're wasting time, let me have you consider a couple things. Do you know that you spend 14 years watching TV? Just thought I'd throw that out there. The average American spends 14 years watching TV. What could you do with 14 years? Now, I'm not saying... Don't watch TV. I just thought you might need a little humor to lighten things up, all right? We spend five years waiting in lines. How many know the pain of that? <laughs> okay, here's the other one. You spend one year looking for misplaced items. <laughs> that's you? Look at her. Yeah, that's me. Maybe two years. <laughs> Hey, I know you've heard this, but come on, Americans love to wear the badge. Oh, I'm burning the candle at both ends. If you're burning the candle at both ends, maybe you're not as bright as you think you are. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Does your activity contribute to your purpose? Yes, we have to work. Yes, we have to feed our kids. Yes, we have to pay bills. I understand that. That's why as a church, we do four things. They're on the wall. We keep them in front of you. We do four things. We can't do everything, but we can do four things. Right, everybody? Here's what Ecclesiastes says in chapter number 4, verse number 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with the stress of chasing the wind. Mm -hmm. This ought to be every American's refrigerator verse right there. All right? I'm in my 50s now, and I've come to learn that I don't have to fight every battle. I'm in my 50s now, and I learned I can't die on every hill. I don't have to answer every question. I don't have to have an answer for every question. I need to say no to the wrong things so that I can say yes to the best things. Amen. Amen. One book that's helped me tremendously, I'll put it on the screen just for you. I highly recommend The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's about establishing a rhythm of Sabbath and rest in your life. I highly recommend it. Let me get to word number three. Many, many Peckle Parsons. All right, the next word is Parsons or Paris Parsons. Your kingdom is divided. So your days are numbered. Hey, guys, the culture is getting chaotic. But our days are numbered. I don't know what's going to happen in this crazy war now that's going on. But regardless, our days are numbered. And, and, and our life is weighed and will be weighed. And you're, he's telling 
uh, Belshazzar, your, your kingdom is divided. Let me just say this. Divided we fall. I believe there are too many people living life random. In other words, you're living life by default rather than living by design. It's just whatever happens today, whatever phone call comes, whatever drama comes, whatever I feel like, whatever mood I'm in, and you let life live you rather than you saying, I'm going to live this life that God gave me. So here's some questions I'd be asking as I'm sitting there. Are you parenting on purpose? Or is it just kind of whatever rule works for the moment? Are you parenting with a goal to get your kids to a certain place? Is your marriage done on purpose? Are your relationships on purpose? Here's one. Is your money being used with a purpose and a goal to it? See, the biggest culprit in our culture today is that we are out of balance. And when we're out of balance, we are divided. And when we are divided, we fall. I read a great book years ago by a friend, pastor of mine, who wrote a book called Why Great Men Fail. And why great men fail, all the statistics point, because we lose our purpose and we become out of balance. That's why we fail. We lose our focus. Um, now, there's warning signs. So Daniel, he's given us a warning sign. Let me fly through a couple of them real quick. Warning signs in our life ought to be some things, like, like when some things happen that don't look like God, those ought to be warning signs. God is peace. So when you're anxious or fearful, those ought to be warning signs. I'm not talking that's the only cause of them. But when you're exhausted, when you're so tired you can't sleep, when you're in pain, when your family's falling apart, when you can't concentrate, when you can't make a decision, when you can't go to bed at night and have peace, then maybe these are some warning signs that our life is out of balance. <laughs> it kind of got serious all of a sudden, didn't it? <laughs> Okay, let me just give you a few of these then. And these are serious, and I recognize they're serious. Uh, I, I hope you'll remember that a few minutes ago you were having a great time. <laughs> but whenever you ignore these warning signs in your life, let me show you some things that could happen. This is not an exhaustive list. Here they are. Number one, or they're not numbered, but the risk of sinful choices increase. When you're tired, the risk of sin increases in your life because you're down. You're, you're tired emotionally. You're tired mentally. You're, you're tired, okay? And, and, and so we, we just get out of balance, and we're just tired. We're, come on. The Bible says be alert for your adversary, okay? The next one is, is that my emotions are inconsistent. If I, if I ignore the warning signs of being out of balance and divided, then my emotions are inconsistent. Have you ever met that person? I mean, one second, they're the happiest person in the world, and they got the shortest fuse in the world. They're like a jack-in-the-box popping out. And like they will blow up the entire world over nothing. You're yelling at cars on the highway that can't hear you. No, I'm not preaching to myself. Shut up and leave me alone, all right? You have anxiety. You have all these emotions because your body is trying to tell you something. Your body is trying to tell you there's a warning sign. Are you out of balance? Are you divided? Are you doing what God has intended for you to do? When you're living out of balance, um, what happens is you'll be less productive because you're saying yes to everything and not, uh, and not yes to the most important thing. So your average on all these things, Sabbath will make your time more productive. 
I exercise, I know it sounds old-fashioned, but I exercise a Sabbath one day a week in my life. I don't mow the yard, I don't do chores, I don't write sermons, I, I, turn, I don't even look at my phone because I'm with my family. Those are the people that would need me if there was an emergency, and I do that. You say, well, that must be nice for you. Listen, friends, hang out with me. I'm just as busy as you are, but I've learned I can accomplish more if I give God a day. Watch this. A Sabbath doesn't have to be just sitting around doing nothing. Here's how I would describe a modern-day Sabbath. What do you do that replenishes your soul? Yes. Have you ever been on vacation? You go to Hawaii, you get the sun, you come back, and you're just as stressed out. The good news is you've got some sleep, but your emotions haven't rested because we've learned how to rest, but we have not learned how to replenish our soul. Right. Let me give you one more, and then I'll move off, off of this one because I can feel the air going out of the room as we talk, all right? <laughs> the, the last thing is when we're out of balance... We can't hear God, and that's important. It's amazing right now when crisis hits, how many people ask me, and I appreciate it. This is not an insult to if you've asked me, hey, what's God saying? And, and I just want to say, yeah, but God speaks to you too. I don't like have this special thing where God just talks to me and doesn't talk to you. That's Old Testament, everybody. He doesn't just talk to the priest. We are all a royal priesthood. Maybe God's talking, but there's too much white noise. Listen, I live, I don't live right on the lake, but I live um, one house off the lake. So, so there's a house in front of me. But from my balcony, I have a beautiful view. God has blessed us. And one of my favorite things, I did it even this morning, when the sun's coming up, especially this time of year, and the sun starts hitting over there on that mountain and the lake is real still. I love that. I'll go out on the deck with my cup of coffee and sometimes in the spring, matter of fact, it happened yesterday morning. There were some fishermen out in a boat. And I could hear them all the way across the lake talking. Wow. Now, what they were talking about was not good, but... <laughs> those fishermen, I don't know. You know why I could hear them? Because it was still and it was quiet. Daniel chapter number 5. Okay, let me move ahead. I'm, I'm going to take you to the end. So Belshazzar didn't take Daniel's advice. So here's what happens. I'm, I'm scurrying you to the end. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. His days were numbered. Daniel tried to tell him. And that very night, he scoffed. He laughed. <laughs> I'll do whatever I want. Watch this. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom. At the age of 62. Now I only read that to go to the next point. Is that Belshazzar did not listen. He didn't listen to the writing on the wall. Is God writing anything on the wall for you this morning as you hear this message? So let me close with this. When we look at this story, I started to end it right there. But you know how I am. I just can't. Because I just feel like th there's loose ends. Because if I'm sitting there today and I'm listening to a message like that, I want to know, okay, what do I do about it? What do I learn from this story in Daniel 5? And here's just a couple of thoughts, and I'll end with this. Number one, is I, I would say it's time to live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Now, it was real neat, because when I was talking about what we need to do as a church and live with purpose and live with urgency, everybody was applauding. Yeah, we need to build the greatest children's ministry. Yeah, we need to blast and cast. Yes, we need to outreach. But how do you internalize and personalize that? How do you begin to live with purpose? Well, listen, friends, whatever we're doing on this earth is temporal. 
But whatever we do, for heaven is eternal. That's purpose, everybody. That's purpose. Now, I know this is going to sound so old-fashioned, but one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to look up Miss Zeal. I'm going to thank her for the day she stayed after to pray with me because I was discouraged. I was a very depressed and very fearful little kid because of all the junk that was going on in my life. But I'm going to look her up. And I'm going to tell her, hey, guess what? I know Jesus saved me, but I'm here because of you. And I hope, I know this sounds terribly egotistical, but I hope somebody walks up and says the same thing to me. Yeah. Amen, everybody? Yeah. Because otherwise, I wonder, what did I do down there? How did I return what was poured into me? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Walk living with a sense of eternity. Walk with that, all right? Um, nothing good accidentally happens. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, we don't just live randomly and like, wow. No, there's a target that God wants us to hit. Um, can, can, and I just, I, I just beg you almost to come to Next Steps. Next month is the first three Wednesday nights. And let us walk through helping you find your purpose. I know it's just a drop in the bucket, but your purpose. What did God call you to do? I know you, I, I know you do whatever you do for a living, and that's wonderful. You have to do that. We're tent makers, right? We have to do that. But what, what are you doing that has eternity value? What, what purpose are you fulfilling for God? He put a purpose in you, and we'll help navigate that and help you discover that if you don't know that. Here's what I know. There's two great days in your life. The two great days are, number one, the day you're born. Number two is when you figure out why you were born. That's the two great days in our lives. Psalms 39 says this. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. I know that sounds depressing, but no. If we start connecting that with, oh yeah, I got to hurry. Well, we need to live like we live the day before a vacation. How many know what I'm saying, right? Okay, everybody got to mow the yard, got to do this, got to do that. All right, okay. Number two, here's the second thing I would do, is put God first and purposeful things second. Now, this one takes a little explaining. is the best way I, I could explain. Always put God first. You've heard me preach that over and over and over. But then put the purposeful things second. So, so in other words, this all speaks about priority in our life. I'm the guy that preaches all the time, right? Order determines outcome. But what happens is we live sometimes by the urgent or the crisis or the emergencies and the purposeful things never get a place and the God things never get a place. So if we will put God first no matter what, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things he'll take care of. The things you're running around trying to take care of. When we put him first, he'll take care of them. All right, let me get, here's the best example. We've moved a lot in our life, so we are very good at packing moving trucks. No, I'm not helping you move, all right? <laughs> but we're good. And one of the things I taught, particularly my son, is when we're loading the truck, you put the most important items in that truck first. The keepsakes, the boxes of photos, the, the family heirlooms, uh, and you put the biggest things, you know, the couch, uh, the important things, the TV, you know, you, know, you put all those things in there. And then the truck's almost halfway full. Then you put the next group. And then when there's no room left in the truck, whatever's left, we don't have to worry about whether it's important or not. We can easily leave it behind. 
because we know we got the most important things in the truck. Church, do you have the most important things in the truck? Let me end with this. You can put Psalms up there for this point. I won't read it. You can write it down. Teach us to number our days. Here's my last point. It's kind of straight to the point in case you missed everything else. Number three, do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait until, oh, after I get this promotion. Don't wait till, oh, after I have a nap. <laughs> Don't wait until, well, you know, I'm going to wait until. No, I'm begging of you, church. As I sat and watched the news this week and was traveling, I watched the world in turmoil. Some people got more discouraged. I, I almost wish this wouldn't be on camera as I'm going to say what I'm going to say. As I watched the news, yes, I felt bad for people, all that. But as people got discouraged watching the news, I found myself a little bit excited about. Because as the world gets darker and chaos, our culture gets more chaotic, it's an opportunity for the church to shine brighter than it's ever shown. Yet kids can go a hundred other places and be entertained. They can go other places and find playgrounds and slides. But they come, can they come somewhere and have a cam to pray with them? Tell them Jesus loves them? has a plan for their life. I end with Corinthians. Uh, I forgot what Corinthians it is. All right. Second Corinthians chapter number six. He says, in the time of favor, I heard you. Right now is the time of favor. We've lived. Come on. Are we not living in a time of blessings? I know the world's crazy, but right now in the time of blessings, right? I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You know what that means? Today's the day to do something about what we're hearing. Because that night, Belshazzar lost his life. That night. Come on, everybody. Let's do it now. Amen.